So, Holy Spirit, help us to know what you mean by that in your word and use what I'm going to say and what we're going to think uh, to help us understand and live out uh, your word to us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, it's great to see all of you. I always miss you over the summer, so it's always great to see you and reconnect with you. Also, those of you who maybe are watching online, catching up after the Seahawks game, it's great to have you guys there as well. I want to start with a question. Do you ever wish that you could go back in your past and maybe relive some of the good times or maybe undo some of the hurts or the wounds from the, from the bad times? I think at one point or another, most of us feel that way somehow. And in fact, there's a, there's a couple of scenes from the kind of quirky comedy Napoleon Dynamite, I don't know if you've seen it, that I want to show you that captures kind of the longing to be part, uh, go back to the past, but also kind of the weirdness and the awkwardness of that. Take, take a look. Hey, you guys want to see my video? What do you think? <laughs> it's pretty cool, I guess. Oh, man, I wish I could go back in time. I take state. This is pretty much the worst video ever made. Napoleon, like anyone can even know that. You know what, Napoleon? You can leave. So you and Tammy still together? No. Not really. What is that? Well, she's jealous. Says I'm living too much in 82. Yeah, I dumped her. Back in 82, I used to be able to throw a pigskin a quarter mile. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. Watch this. That's what I'm talking about. I better go. <laughs> How much you want to make a bet I can throw a football over the mountains? Yeah, coach would have put me in fourth quarter. We'd have been state champions, no doubt. No doubt in my mind. You better believe things would have been different. I'd have gone pro in a heartbeat. I'd be making millions of dollars and living in a big old mansion somewhere. You know, soaking it up in a hot tub with my soulmate. Kip, I reckon you know a lot about cyberspace. You, you ever come across anything Time travel? Easy. I've already looked into it for myself. Right on. Right on. So see, when we get stuck in the past, it's just weird and <laughs> awkward and difficult, and maybe we're not as 
bad as Uncle Rico in those scenes. But at some point, most of us at some point get tied to the past. Maybe it's uh, wounds or hurts from parents or peers in the past. Or failures or broken relationships. They can hold, all those things can hold us back. But also I think it can be our successes, the good times, and we either want to go back and relive those or we get stuck doing the same thing over and over again because it was successful in the past and so we just keep doing it. Classic example from business is the train industry. Who they, when the airplanes came along, they didn't realize that they weren't in the train industry, that they were in the transportation industry. So they just kind of blew it. Their past success kind of kept them from future possibilities. So how might you be tied to your past, either the hurts or the good times, in your faith, in your life, in your career, in your relationships? We're starting a new sermon series this fall called I'll Pretend You Didn't Say That. We're looking at some of the difficult, challenging things Jesus says in the Bible. And mostly what we tend to do with those things is we just kind of ignore them, right? Because we all kind of have our Bible in the, inside the Bible, the verses that we like. And so we're always kind of turning in the Bible to the book of I said so, chapter such and such, to our favorite verse, right? Well, the story that we read today is one of those difficult sayings where Jesus encounters three different men. And the first one says, I am ready to follow you. But Jesus knows he's not. And he, so Jesus says, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. In other words, basically, this is going to suck. And you can't handle it. Now, it's kind of an odd thing to say, but I think Jesus wants this man to count the cost of following him. But then Jesus says to two other people, he kind of does the opposite. He says, y'all, you follow me. And one says, first, let me go bury my father. The other says, first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And then Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Whoa. Kind of almost rude, isn't it? Like what's wrong with this request, especially the guy that just wants to bury his dad? That's just being a good son. I mean, back then there was no social security and, 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 and kids were kind of the only way that the elderly got care. I have a friend who whenever her, she won't let her kids do something that they want to do, her kids will say, remember mom, we pick the home. <laughs> back then the kids were the home. They were everything. Now, in other places Jesus talks about the need to care for parents so he's not telling this man to be a bad son, but he, I think he's saying two things. One I'm just going to mention, the other is the point of this sermon. First, I think this is about priorities. These, both of these men say, I will follow you, but first, and then they give their excuse. And the word first is their problem. Jesus is saying in order to experience the abundant life, Jesus has to be our first priority. Besides, if this guy's dad were really dead, he'd be at the funeral because funerals were held the same day. What he's really saying is, I'll follow you, Jesus, maybe after my dad's dead. It's an excuse. But I think there's another point Jesus is making, a deeper meaning that I just want to talk, that I want to talk about for the rest of this sermon. I think in this text, Jesus is also saying we have to get past our past. Jesus' statement, let the bed, dead bury their own dead, is a metaphor, meaning let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. But you stop looking back. You stop being tied to what's behind you. You look ahead. And he gives this clear image. He says, no one can put their hand to the plow and look back. And just picture that. You can't really plow a field if you're looking backward, can you? You've got to look ahead. I think that's what Jesus is saying. You've got to get past your past. 
There's a man in our church who used to work at a, uh, at a plant that made these super powerful magnets used in radar. And one day, one of the guys in the plant decided to steal one of these powerful magnets. Who knows why? So as he was leaving, he put the magnet in his coat. And, but right after he got outside, there were these big metal rails outside. He got sucked over, hit it with this loud clank, and was stuck there. That is a great image of what our past can do to us. It just sticks us there. So then how do we get past our past? How do we do this? I'm going to give you five suggestions, and I know that's a lot to remember, so you just grab the one you like best as it flies by. And they all start with the word get, but really the place that all of this comes is from Jesus, so these are also five things to pray for. And the first thing, to get past your past, get forgiveness for yourself and for others. Because nothing binds us to the past like unforgiveness. I know folks in their 50s, 60s, still blaming mom and dad, for their problems, or folks still mad at the ex, or whatever. And yeah, that person may have done you wrong, but your anger is eating you up, and it sticks you to that person, and it sticks you to the past. So to get free of that, you got to forgive. And how do we do that? Really quickly. First, you got to realize that no matter what that person did to you to mean it for harm, God can use it for good. Just like he did in the story of Joseph in the Bible, where Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery, God uses that to make Joseph the prime minister of Egypt, saves many lives, guides them through a famine. The other way that we can forgive is we can't do this on our own. So we got to get close to Jesus and experience his love for us, his forgiveness of us, his power to forgive others. Pray for that person that God would bless them because it's really hard to be mad at someone you're praying for consistently. Forgive others. But not, not just them, because sometimes I think the person we need to forgive is ourselves. Because one of the things we do is we keep rehashing our, our sins, our mistakes, our past failures. But the Bible says this, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Okay, church, who does the Bible say is a new creation? Repeat that word after me. Anyone. If anyone is a new creation, any in Christ, they're a new creation. In the Bible, God says this, I will remember their sins no more. Jesus has paid the price for your sin, and because of that, God literally does not remember, blotted it out of his mind. When God looks at you, he doesn't see your failures, he sees your possibilities. It's a little bit like this uh, familiar toy that most of us have played with, this thing, right? Y'all know what this is? It's called an Etch-A-Sketch, or as they call it in Arkansas, an iPad. (laughs) Sorry. If you're from Arkansas, I'm so, so sorry. <laughs> Tennessee, then. Um, you know, and you can draw a whole bunch of things. I mean, it's really cool. You, know, you can draw just about anything except for a circle on this, right? But what happens if you make a mistake and then it's just gone? From God's perspective, this is what he has done with your failures, your mistakes, your sins, the things you keep rehearsing. They're gone. From God's perspective, they're just gone. Now, we, we keep hanging on to those things, don't we? We keep remembering those things. And that's why we need to get close to Jesus to experience his love and forgiveness. You do that in prayer. You do that in worship. You do that in community. Our inner healing prayer team does miracles around this stuff. If you need help with that, call. Make an appointment to get past your past. Get forgiveness. Second, get a new name. We all grow up with labels, and those labels come to define us. For instance, fill in the blank on these historical figures. Attila the, Billy the, Buffy the, 
Very good. And pretty soon we begin to live our label, don't we? For instance, we don't even try in school because we think, oh, you know, I've been labeled the kid that can't succeed in school, no good at school, so I'm not even going to try. You know, bad kid, good kid, not good at school, not attractive, whatever it is. And it's not just the negative names that can bind us, by the way. Even the seemingly positive ones, like smart or successful or good-looking, leave us wondering, but what if I'm not successful? What if I lose my looks? Then who am I? When I was in ninth grade, the girls in my school made a list of all the guys in the school from most attractive to least attractive in ranked order. You can tell this is going to end badly for me, can't you? <laughs> and they made multiple copies of this list. They passed it out. They posted it in the halls. They passed it out. Everyone saw this list. Guess where I was on that list? Second from the bottom. Second from the bottom. All I can say is thank goodness for James Miller, who was dead last. <laughs> so that I didn't have to be, right? Until then I realized, wait a minute, James Miller and I look so much alike, teachers actually confused us. <laughs> it was really just a tie. They couldn't tell the difference. And that, that label kind of guided my behavior in some ways. I think it's one of the reasons that I, I feel this pressure to achieve so that folks will kind of approve of me, offset that whole list thing. Here's the thing, you don't have to live your label. Jesus gives us new names. I recently heard a woman in her 70s talk about how as a kid in school she was labeled, you know, the problem child. She always fidgeted, couldn't sit still, caused problems, paid couldn't pay attention. And this was back in the 40s. So the school sent her to a psychiatrist because they thought she had a problem. And the psychiatrist talked to her for a while and then, she, and then he said, I need to talk to your mother separately. So he and the mother went into another room, but before they left, the psychiatrist turned the radio on. And they went into the next room where there was a window, and he said to the mom, pretend you're not looking, but watch what she does. Within just a minute, this little girl started to dance. And the psychiatrist said, she doesn't have a problem. She's a dancer. So the mom sent her to ballet class, and this woman said it was wonderful. She said there was a room full of people just like me who couldn't sit still. She grew up to have a great career as a dancer, a choreographer. She got a new name. And where does this new name come from? It can only really come from one place. And that's Jesus, the one who knows us better than we know ourselves. And in the Bible, Jesus renames folks like Simon and renames him Peter, which means the rock. Let me ask you this question. After Jesus names him the rock, did Peter always act perfectly like a rock with no mistakes from then on? Of course not. But Jesus guided him. Jesus helped him live into his new name over time. So connect with Jesus in prayer. Listen for those thoughts that are not your thoughts. Again, our inner healing prayer team can really help with this stuff. Maybe talk to some people around you who know you, who can speak God's truth into your life. Now, you may think, well, what if I had one of those good names? You know, Mr. Successful or Miss Brilliant. I like that name. What if my new name is lame? What if God gives me a lame name? Well, God's not going to give you a lame name, okay? He doesn't do that. He doesn't say you are lame one. He doesn't do that. Those names that come from other people, here's the problem. They come from outside. They're external, which means they're tenuous. What if I'm not successful? Then who am I? But the names Jesus gives us are eternal, beloved of God, child of the Most High King. And they speak to who we really are, not what we achieve. I think one of my names is pastor. That has nothing to do with my job. It's about how I have always been kind of driven to help people see and experience who Jesus really is. I did it when I was a teacher. I could be a truck driver, and I do truck driving in a pastoral kind of a way. The names others give us are external. Jesus' names are internal and eternal. 
Get forgiveness, get a new name. Third, get a new challenge. In life, in faith, relationships, career, it's important not to rest on the laurels of past experiences or keep doing what we've always done because it was successful in the past. We need new challenges. I am a huge fan of Gene McAllister, who you heard from earlier in the service. As a retired person, goes to Rwanda to help people experience the love of Jesus. As a retired person, she's not anchored to her past. She's pressing ahead new challenges. And I think this is especially important in not getting stuck in past successes and doing them over and over and and not realizing future possibilities. Again, an instance in business. The phone company realizes it's not just in the phone business, it's in the communication business. Whole new products are born. Their past success doesn't inhibit future possibilities. So in prayer, ask Jesus to show you some new challenges. Get forgiveness, get a new name, get a new challenge. Next, get out of the sick tent. Now, for some of you, this is going to be the point you're going to need to hear. There is a season, don't get me wrong, a season to mourn and to grieve the hurts and the wounds from our past, but then there is a time to get out of that sick tent. And I fear that in our therapeutic culture, we just, there, there, people to death. There, 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 I know it was bad. There, there, let's rehearse it again and again and again. Yes, you got to mourn, but then you got to move on. And I'm not sure we get that in our culture. There's there's kind of a book I just saw recently that kind of captures it. The title was, if it's not one thing, it's your mother. I mean, that gets it, right? Just constantly blaming, looking back. Here's the thing. There's a therapist in our church I've quoted before. She says this to her clients. You can have a better future, but you have to let go of trying to have a better past. You cannot fix it, but you can move ahead. It's sort of like a chessboard. You know, we often see ourselves as pieces on the chessboard, and we got to knock all the opposing pieces off to get where we want to get. They're in our way. So I got to get my parents to say they're sorry. I got to get my ex to admit that they were wrong. I have to get over my fear of such and such in order for me to do X, Y, and Z. But we are not pieces on the chessboard. We are the chessboard. And the chessboard can hold all of those pieces, good and bad, together. And the chessboard can be picked up and moved to a desired point on the horizon with all of those pieces, good and bad, in tow. Get out of the sick tent and move forward. Even if the past isn't fixed, even if the problem hasn't resolved itself, even if that fear hasn't gone away, repeat this mantra after me, I am not a victim because there are no victims for those who are in Jesus Christ. We are more than conquerors through him. Presbycostal say amen. Amen. The other thing that we have to do to get out of the sick tent is we've got to realize that there there is a function in our dysfunction. There was a function in our dysfunction. Find the function, and you can fix the dysfunction. So, for instance, one of the ways I dealt with that whole ninth grade list thing was I learned to walk through the halls of school without drawing attention to myself. Just, you know, didn't say hi. You know, otherwise, I might get shamed, right? So I just slip on by, didn't say hi. It worked. It had a function. But when I got older, it became dysfunctional. It seemed rude. Why is the pastor blowing me off? That's not very nice. Now, I can still walk right by people and not say hi. A lot of that is I'm just kind of not paying attention, not observant, lost in thought, that sort of thing. But some of it is deep down I'm thinking, I know you don't want to talk to me anyway, and if you do, you're just going to make fun of me, so I'll just slip on by and not bother you with me. It had a function then, but now it's dysfunctional. So having identified the function in the dysfunction, I can now see that I don't need to use that coping mechanism anymore. I don't have to act like I'm 15. I can say hi to people. And I'm working on it. I'm getting, like, I'm a little, I'm this much better. Aren't I, Dana? Am I this much better? Okay, I'm this much better. So this week, pray, Jesus, show me where I need to get out of the sick tent. Give me the power to do it. 
Get forgiveness, get a new name, get a new challenge, get out of the sick tent, and finally get it that God does not rewrite history, but he does redeem it. It is significant to me that in the Bible, heaven is described as a city, the new Jerusalem. That is, we do not go back to the Garden of Eden because some things that are lost are lost forever and they're never coming back. So don't try. But we can go forward to a new place forged out of the old one. And in a way, that's better. In fact, one of the reasons maybe God allowed Adam and Eve to reject him in the first place is so that later, when we're all in heaven, if we are ever tempted to walk away from God again, we'll stop and we'll go, wait, how'd that work out the last time we did that? Ooh. And we'll obey because we want to, not because we have to. God does not rewrite Joseph's story in the Bible so that he was not sold into slavery. He uses it for good to help save many lives. We so often want God to somehow undo the past, but instead God uses the past to chart a new future. I went wake surfing a couple of weeks ago, which is just really fun. And there was a guy on the boat, late 30s, who told me a cool story about how when he was younger, he was a missionary in the Philippines. And he dated a woman there, and they started to talk about marriage. But there were tons of, paper, tons of paperwork to handle on the Philippine side, and he had to go back to the United States. So they decided to postpone the wedding until they could get everything lined up. And he wrote to her from here, but as time went on, in his words, he said, I got selfish and self-focused, and I moved on to new adventures, new people, new relationships. Well, eventually, he got married to someone else, had kids. They had a great marriage, but then his wife died. Well, a couple of years later, he reconnected with this woman in the Philippines over Facebook. And in the intervening years, she had also gotten married to an abusive man who physically abused her, cheated on her, and then eventually left her. So they reconnected, and for a while it was just friendship over Facebook, but then it got romantic again, and now they're getting married in a couple of months. And one of the things she's most excited about is to be a stepmom to his kids because growing up, her childhood was very painful because she had a very mean and abusive stepmother. And through Jesus, she has forgiven that stepmother, but now she feels Jesus is giving her a new chance to kind of redeem those painful years by being a good stepmom to this man's kid. There's a lot of past to get past in that story. Self-centeredness, abusive marriage, death of a spouse, difficult childhood, and Jesus is helping them forgive the wrongs, get a new name, not abused or, or selfish, but redeemed, beloved. They're getting a new adventure, getting out of the sect. They really get it that God does not rewrite history. Their past is there, and some of it will hurt for, for, for life. But he is redeeming it. And using even their pain, things like having the abusive stepmom, using it for good. So where can't you get past your past? This week, connect with Jesus. Ask him to give you some of these five things that I've talked about. Find some folks around you who can help you out. You cannot plow a field while you are looking behind. You've got to look ahead. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. Not that I have already obtained it. In other words, not that I'm perfect, I'm not, I mess up, but this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which, Jesus, for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's Paul who persecuted Christians. You see, every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. 
God's good purposes for you cannot be stopped, not by the past, not by what anyone has said or done or labeled you, not by the devil himself. I have read the last book of the Bible. I know how it ends. Jesus wins. The devil loses. So when Satan tries to mess you up as he does by reminding you of your past, your labels, those hurts, even the successes he wants to use to keep you doing the same thing over and over, when Satan reminds you of your past, you just remind him of his future. Because with Jesus, past is never prologue and past performance never indicates future results. With Jesus, it is always forward march. So Jesus, we know that only you can set us free. And guys, just as we are praying, I'd invite you to think of one way that maybe you are tied to your past, a success or hurt or whatever it is, and just picture yourself giving that over to Jesus. So Jesus, we give those things to you because we know only you can set us free. Only you can unbind us. So Lord, we ask that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you release us from the ways the past is binding us and set us forward to the future that you have promised for us. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.